Welcome, travelers. I'm Lee Wanika. I'm Josh. And I'm Glenn. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We here at Tabletop Journeys are D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here on our main podcast episodes, we're going to discuss the core rules, how we use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. So today we're here talking about something that's near and dear to all of our hearts, Session Zero. The hows, the whys, and our thoughts about it. Recently, I came across an article that was really discussing some of the points against the Session Zero. And I don't want to pick on any particular creator. But what I do want to do is talk about our thoughts and talk about the argument as a whole. So essentially the premise of this discussion, or those on the side of no session zero, is that time is precious and a session zero is a waste of time. We're all busy. We have busy lives. We don't have time for a game day that's not a game day. There's also the the idea that ending on a good beat is important, like, you know, inviting somebody to play a game and then not playing that game. That's problematic. And finally, what are some of the things that, that, that go wrong with it? I mean, why do you need this thing? I think those are really the the issues that people have with session zeros, and I think that comes from a lot of lack of understanding. Within that framework, there are some good ideas, however. There are some important elements that we want to take keep in mind when we're doing session zeros. Josh, what are, what are your thoughts? What are some of the things we need to pay attention to from these sure. folks on the no side? Yeah, I definitely think that the best point that I saw in that was the one about inviting players to your table to play a game and then not spending that time playing the game. I think that's a really valid point, and it goes to my philosophy about about a session zero, where a session zero is not a particular finite point in time. It is a longer period of time that spans a bunch of time before everybody gets together to go ahead and run through a story and start dropping dice. Session zero is not something that happens at noontime and then you drop dice at four. Session zero starts four weeks before you drop those dice so that you can go ahead and talk through character concepts, so that you can go ahead and talk through themes that are going to appear or not appear in the game. We basically run homebrew campaigns, and so as a result, these are diverse worlds with multiple facets and and opinions spread throughout throughout their countrysides, it is really important as a homebrewing storyteller to understand what are the things that my players are going to respond to, what are the things that they are not going to respond to, and what are the things that they don't want to experience in their game. Because this is all an agreement between all of us that we're all getting together to go ahead and have fun, and we're all on the same team at the end of the day. Absolutely. And, you know, right along with that, that was kind of my takeaway as well. I don't think Session Zero is a two-hour block of time or a four-hour block of time. And I think the elements that are going to be within a Session Zero 
can start earlier or later. They can be done as a group. They can be done in person. They can be done online in various different ways, depending on a lot of things, depending on the size of your group, the people in your group, how well or how long you've gamed with your group, uh, whether you're live or whether you're uh, online virtual gaming. Uh, these can change how you hold a session zero and the tools you use for it. I strongly feel that it is important as a home brewer that I talk to my players about what's different than the core D&D game. If the core D&D game lists a series of deities and my game doesn't have those same deities, I need to give that information to the players before they create their character. Otherwise, they can become married to a concept that's based on Lathander, for example. But they that's not a deity that exists in my world that can be challenging for a player to overcome and then enjoy the game if that's not cleared up in advance whether or not you do that in a two-minute blurb and elevator pitch prior to the start of a campaign where you're still soliciting players or you do that in a series of group chats with the group before game day that's different you have to make that decision as a dm based on what your players are and what your player group's needs are. Glenn, let's bring you in here, because I know that from the conversations that you and Liwanika have had, uh, specifically around this particular episode, you have a really great way that you run your session zero. So talk to us a little bit about how you do it. All right. I am excited about this episode because it's it's one of the first ones where I'm really going to truly be part of the full discussion, and it's something that I'm really passionate about. Because I don't think session zeros are just important. I think that they are crucial and 100% necessary. And I'm going to touch on a lot of the same points I think you and Lee already mentioned, because I knew we were all going to be pretty close on this topic too. Um, and not everybody's a fan of the session zero. They think it's a waste of time, but you know, I think people are going to, I think people are going to start coming around. Maybe the reason the topic came up again recently is because the first section of Tasha's DM tools was devoted to session zero, which yeah, I love by the way, but whether you knew about it before Tasha's or after there is always a session zero even if it's not done as the part of the first time everybody gets together like lee was saying you know session zero and josh too session zero starts as soon as you start talking about character concepts and from there how you address it is 100 percent about how your campaign is designed right so the way you should look at session zero is to try to embrace them better i think is that session zero should answer the question of how do i get all of these unique and wildly different characters together and pointed in the same direction preferably without railroading them. And I mean, that's really important because a tiefling, two elves, a dwarf, and a halfling all walk into an inn. Sounds like the start of a really bad joke. <laughs> because it is. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also beyond that an opportunity to set your table expectations, feel out your players' personalities, discuss any homebrew rules that you're going to work with, and you know, basically let everybody introduce each other and break the ice. Absolutely. This is where I find that the diversity of types of groups really plays into why there's a need for session zero in one fashion or another. If you're, playing with, if you're playing with a group of friends who've been gaming for 20, 20, 30 years, you need to minimize this part of it because largely the ice has already been broken. If you're playing a brand new game with people that you may have only met casually at your local game shop, or if you're starting a brand new online virtual campaign with people you've never met before because hey, this great podcast channel now it connects DMs and players, but you've never dealt with them before as a DM, you need to have something to break the ice. 
You need right. to have people have the ability to know who they're playing with to start building that relationship. And that's kind of the core premise behind the whole thing, aside from table expectations. And in uh, my introductory episode, we promised to tell you the thing that I say is my social contract. You know, for the campaign that I'm running, I knew everybody that was coming to the table and I had very much kind of handpicked them uh, for a variety of reasons uh, because I wanted them at my table. A couple of them knew each other, but for the most part, the five people that were at the table other than me did not know each other. They were all strangers. And so I knew them all, but none of them knew each other. And so this was an opportunity for me to say, hey, here are all these people. Here here, here you all are. We all kind of have this, you know, but beforehand I had already, I knew what players they, uh, what characters they were playing before they came in. I had floated out some of the optional rules that I was going to be using, but also used uh, kind of the first part of that session to really clarify in, in, in more detail what those custom rules were going to be. You know, because even though it's a homebrew and there's a lot of customization and a lot of uh, collaborative development of this world between me and the players at the table, there are still some guidelines and some uh, some there are some walls <laughs> on the room, even though the walls are uh, are really far away and for the most part short, and you can see over them. That whole thing of letting everybody meet each other. If you're doing an adventure league pickup game, you know your session zero starts as soon as you post your game info and your DM info, but you still got to have a few minutes, like right at the beginning, and that's your session zero, where everybody gets to meet each other, say hi you know, at least have a second to say, okay, this person seems cool before they start trying to perform in front of them. Um, but then it gets more formal, you know, the more of an ongoing campaign you got and you're planning it for your characters, exactly like you were saying. I, I think, Glenn, this is a great spot for you to talk about the social contract. I think this right. is, and I believe each, all three of us feel this is the most critical part of a session zero. However you hold it, this is the one thing that has to be right. done at the very beginning of the first session. Right. And the social contract is really important. And it says it right there in, you know, the the core rules. But everybody shies away from it because, you know, it sounds weird. What's the social contract? And then they give their example. You just got to find a way to put it in your own words. Um, the way I put it when I sit everybody down is I say, everybody look around, whether we all agree or not, and whether your characters all agree or not, we're all here to have fun. Every person at the, this table is responsible for keeping the game together keeping it fun and making sure that everybody has an opportunity to shine and be part of it. And that's pretty much it. Short and sweet to start there. If anybody has questions, I'll express it beyond that. But I really want them to understand that it's not on me to come up with a creative situation that keeps them together. You know, if somebody decides they're going to be an asshat and just build a raft and sail out to sea because they don't want to be a part of this anymore. Yes, I did that to Lee in one of his games. But he's breaking the social contract. He's not helping keep the game fun for everybody anymore. In that instance, it was because everybody thought it was funny. But it was still kind of... A <laughs> Almost mode, everyone. So. <laughs> Almost everyone. <laughs> but from there, you know, depending on what you're doing with your game, you, you make your decisions. I usually split it there into three categories for whatever kind of game I'm running. But basically, it's all about how long your players have known each other because that's the amount of interaction you're or your characters have known each other, because that's the amount of interaction your players should have. So I got three versions. If they've never met before, if the characters you know, got captured, they wake up as prisoners, gladiators, slaves, something. I call that naked and afraid. <laughs> in that instance... More on that in future episodes. You get, uh, you get... Everybody has the same backstory, and make it the same on purpose. 
Everybody felt a pinch in the back of their neck. They were unconscious. They suffered the same horrific experience. They just woke up naked and afraid in this room with a bunch of strangers. It seems weird. Uh, but in that instance, you're talking about your social contract before the players ever get together. You're, you're setting up your character classes with nudges to kind of create a balanced party before the players even meet. Because in that kind of game, I want to be like, okay, here you are, set the stage, give everybody a second to talk about the fact that they all had the same background and bond over the horrific experience, and then go, slam right in. But Naked and Afraid is hard if you don't come up with some that horrific experience to create party cohesion, because that's what your, your Session Zero is all about. Um, if they all suffered the same horrific experience, they've got a reason to stay together beyond just escaping the scenario. They want to know who did this to them, you know, why it happened. You can build a whole story around it. That actually works exceptionally well, and it brings me back to one of my favorite TV shows, uh, Smallville, because interestingly enough, that is a concept that the creators of Smallville used. Whenever they introduced a new major character, they were always introduced in the opening sequence before the credits with a huge accident of some kind to include the entire main cast. You met all of them in the scene where they had the big accident, in that case, the meteor shower. But every yep. main character to follow was introduced in that exact same manner. Some huge right. accident, some huge tragedy, and they're standing there, and then that individual meets some one member of the main cast. And it was very consistent through 10 years of that show. Um, so tell us about the second uh, element, uh, the second uh, grouping that you use for your openings. All right, the next one's if you're recent companions. So say you've known each other for a few months, maybe a few years, but not your whole lives. In this instance, your session zero is still going to start with one-on-ones, you know. You reach out to people about their characters, you nudge them a little bit, but you also give them ideas of what everybody else is doing so they can kind of start to fit together. Maybe, you know, create a, the, their party structure on their own. Talk about your table rules, etc. Then when you get to your session zero, basically what you're doing is you're designing your session one to be an introductory episode. Think of, as, think of it as a pilot episode. And you're just setting up a basic scenario because you need time to kick the tires, light the fires, let everybody role play a little bit. Do an introduction section because they've known each other long enough that they should already have descriptions and mannerisms. And then set the stage for an opening role-playing encounter. Something simple, ties their backgrounds together and tells them the story, finishes telling them the story of how they got together, how they met their patron, who they're working for perhaps. Then they get a mission briefing, a little time to interact with a couple of NPCs from the town, grab a drink, start a bar fight, close with a basic combat encounter, whether it's brigands attack, somebody runs in and says, help, my kid fell down the well, whatever you've got that's not going to be crazy complicated so that you can get some role playing and some interaction in without any pressure yet to be going for an Oscar with your role playing performance. That's very much the way that I started the campaign that I'm running in now. The conceit behind the campaign was that this party had been together for a previous hired job from the, uh, basically they're, they're, they're conscripted. They're a, a conscripted military scout unit. This was their second ranging mission out into the wilderness. And so I wrote kind of the backstory of what happened their first time and kind of, you know, dropped a, dropped some plot elements in there, but kind of gave everyone a sense for how these things go. And then session one was they need to move from uh, from point A to point B. There were things that happened along the way. But I also, in the kind of the session zero ahead of time, was very honest with them and said, this first leg of the, of the trip is going to be about two sessions worth of material. 
the reason why it's going to be two sessions worth of material is because after two sessions, if you come to me and say, Josh, I'm not having fun playing this character, what do I do? That will be a good point where that character something can happen to them or they can stay where they are or they can decide not to they can decide not to check back in with the military captain that sent them out for whatever reason but that gives you the opportunity as a player to then know how the world works a little bit and write a new character and not skip a beat absolutely i it's a really good idea too i like it a lot i'm gonna have to bring that into the way that i do things yeah in the campaign world that i'm currently running i did an interesting blend of both of those ideas and i'm gonna let glenn talk about his lat his third grouping and then i'll go into what i did with my campaign because it's an interesting take that incorporates all of those ideas and elements from all three of the openings that we're discussing here Funny enough, I think I know where you're headed, and I'm pretty sure that my last method is going to kind of touch on it and set the stage for you. So uh, my last version is lifelong friends who grew up together. And this is probably one of my favorites because you can get so creative with it, and it can be so much fun. But in this instance, this is when I do a full session zero-ish character generation party. Just love a couple of pre-session conversations toss around some character concepts and possible backstory ideas just so that you come to the table prepared with an idea of where people want to go. But then let them sit down and let them get to know each other if they don't already and let them rap about what they want to be. Let them drive their own narrative for how their party is created. Let them metagame think a little bit about creating their balance. That's okay because they grew up together and somebody who was good at healing might say, all right, I'm going to go down this path because you know we're clearly headed in this direction. So a little metagame thinking in that instance because they grew up together is appropriate. But the most important part there is you're watching your players while they're doing this. And you've already talked to them all a little bit about background. And you've come up with some ideas in advance uh, because you want to have a party background idea in your head and design a a catalyst encounter for whatever it is that set them on their adventuring path, right? So you don't have to do like a whole campaign on session zero, on a, a zero level character as an example. But I love to come up with that defining moment where they became a party. I'm about to actually do that with the group starting on Wednesday for their first their first game together. Um, and when I came up with their group background about how they all became an adventuring party together, one of them said, it'd be really cool if we could role play that scene. And I said, well, that's good because you're gonna because that's the last part of it. And I like to I like to create like. That, that catalyst scene, nothing crazy complicated. I mean, we're talking zero-level characters. It's nothing insane. Maybe a small goblin raid that they helped fight in. In this instance, they're all on a fishing boat, um, and they're out shorthanded with less guards because there's a plague going on, but the town's getting low on food, and they're attacked by harpies, and I created some weaker-level harpies for them. Um, but the fact that they stepped up, grabbed weapons, and fought is what made their patron decide to start looking at them as more than just fishing crew. And we're going to role play that encounter. You know, they're going to, I'm going to create just a basic for zero level character for them. Everyone will have available a short sword, a short bow. If it's a caster, I'm going to give them a cantrip and one first level spell. And they'll all have the same bonuses to hit. You know, they don't have to have their full character sheet for it. And we're going to play it out. You know, we'll start out with a meeting where their patrons giving the briefing about how they're going to go out and do this because uh, the town needs food, why it's so important, you know, really setting the stage. And then let them play out their own epic encounter for how they started on their path. And I think that creates a huge amount of party cohesion. That's what all three 
versions are about is taking the opening scenario and figuring out how to milk as much party cohesion out of it as possible so that your group stays together. Because no matter what you say in your social contract, at some point, somebody's going to be like, well, I'm just not sure that my character would be okay with this. So, and they're going to cause a stalemate. Yeah, I was going to talk about that in a minute, about how the worst thing that any DM can hear at the table is, well, that's what my character would do. Yeah, right. it's bad from the fact that it can be, but is not always a lazy player's thinking. Right. But there are a number of instances, for example, when I had a character get, build a raft and sail away from the adventure, where oh it was actually <laughs> significant flaws in the campaign and adventure structure. And if you as a DM come across that, and your player is a well-meaning player who doesn't normally do that type of thing, you do need to kind of take a moment, evaluate what you were doing in that campaign, and say, did I set this scene correctly? Did I do this correctly? We all have to kind of self-evaluate as as storytellers at the beginning, in the middle, and even towards the end, and, and when we're planning the next campaign or the next adventure. Do we have this set up well? Does it truly support the narrative that I'm looking for? Does it let the player character shine? Does it bring up the elements that, that they want to be a part of? And if, you know? you're, and if you're really falling down in those areas, sometimes you got to take it from a good friend saying, dude, you're falling down in these areas. Uh- <laughs> I'm going to add that to the social contract that I, that I use. I'm going to add a piece about, uh, about the DM's commitment yep. to my goal is to make this fun for you. And if I'm yep. too focused on my story and not hearing what you're saying, yep. if you got to get up and shake me, let me know so yep. that yep. I can fix it. It is something that really was what was going on in that in that story. Yeah. I really liked what it was, and you had great ideas for where you wanted to go. But it happens to all of us sometimes. We get the bit in our teeth, and we just put our head down. And you had given us this original mission of escape the island, but we were only supposed to do that by following the scenario. And yeah. I was tired of the scenario, so I'm like, I'm escaping, damn it! Yeah, that was. <laughs> I'm going to situ- build a raft. <laughs> yeah, that was a situation where I fell into the same flaw that befell a great television show that I really, really loved but got old uh, in the later ep- later seasons, which is Prison Break. At a certain point, right. you can't do more than 24 episodes of Prison Break. At some point, they got to get out of the prison. And then <laughs> right. building a new prison on top of the old prison in any fashion, at a certain point, people are like, dude, man, I-, I just want out already. And at a certain point, it just gets old. And I think that's what I didn't envision when I was writing a Prison Break campaign from that. I, I think there are lots of things that do it really well, and there are ways it really falls down. It is something that I took under great advisement for future campaign usage. It's been several years since that particular one went down, but it is something oh, yes, I keep in mind. Uh, it's been it's something I keep in mind, and you and know, it's happened to all of us. Yeah, I, mean, I sure, have yeah. so done that to my players before. Yeah, and the other side of the of the equation is is true also, where you know when you give away the magical item. You are also giving away your ability to control how it is used, right? Yep. So if you find yourself in a situation where, oh, my players are abusing this thing that I gave them, well, you as the storyteller need to sit back and say, well, okay, so I'm, I'm sort of hoisting myself on my own petard here. How... And then try to figure out a way to get around it. Try to figure out a way to get to get out of out of that mess because you done made it. You got to mop it up. 
that is a great point, and we're going to expand on that in a future episode, definitely. We are. Because there's a reason why I tend to run lower magic campaigns, and it is that reason. It's that reason, It is yeah. exactly that reason. Glenn, you've played in a number of my campaigns. I don't think any of them have ever been described as high magic. No, not often. No, definitely no, not. And, and, I, you even had players determined to turn it into a high magic world by becoming artificers. And <laughs> yeah. It still didn't work out. No, no, not really. And, and and look, it's not that I have anything against the high magic world. I like playing in them, to be honest with you. But I think as part of that self-evaluation process, we also need to know what's our niche. As, as storytellers, we need to know what are we, what are the stories we're good at telling? Right. That is not Absolutely. the kind of story I'm good at telling. I could do an adventure here or there or what have you, but that's yeah, not. That's how you grow your skills. Right. But that is not where my expertise is. So if I'm going to run a long-term ongoing campaign, it is most likely not going to be in that high magic world. Josh, you've talked about your openings with your campaigns. Glenn, mm -hmm. you've given us great information and knowledge about the different ways you've used that. What I find interesting is one of my two ongoing campaigns is a great combination of a lot of those elements. But it starts from the fact that the gaming group itself is a mix of each of the types of groups you just mentioned, right? So this was a gaming group that was formed with a combination of a good friend that I've known for or 20 plus years. It is. It also includes one of my own children, two of his children, and it included five or six other players. This was live pre-COVID that I met at the gaming shop through Adventure League Gaming. So it was a combination of people who have a lot of experience and people who have no experience with each other. It was also a game that was designed around people that need to come and go because not everybody could make sessions all the time. So I had to come up with a way to make that feasible to thematically and within the narrative support the social contract that was discussed. So while I used my own version of Glenn's social contract, what I did is I created a background. I did hold a full-on session zero with a little mini adventure. But the, so way, in, the, the way in which I uh, enforced that thematically was I had everybody be orphans that grew up together in an orphanage. It allowed the maximum of diversity, both in race, type, no matter where they came from, they were just kids in this orphanage that grew up together. It thematically reinforced the orphanage because I said, as part of my elevator pitch, all of you grew up as brothers, as siblings is how I phrased it, because I didn't know if I was going to get female players. And initially I didn't. I have since had some. Um, but you grew up as brothers. The one thing that is important is that all of you are close. You're tight. You disagree with each other from time to time. You fight like cats and dogs from time to time. But at the end of the day, you love each other. You would never go to lethal blows with each other. You would never hate each other and you would never allow harm to come to each other. You would always be at each other's defense. The parents that raised you were wonderful people that you all love and support and they love and support you in all of your endeavors. That is the glue that is your life. Make whatever character you want and do whatever you want. And the idea was that was the background that everybody shared. I did a weird thing where I did a zero level thing for a couple levels. Less important to this discussion. What is important to this discussion is I then gave a break in time after that little zero level bit where I said, go out into the world. And I said to each player separately, what background do you want for your character class? 
And then I wove that into the story. Like your character went to this location to get said background. Your character right. went to that location to get that background. And the start of the adventure was you're back home at the orphanage for a yearly meal that you always share with your parents. Done. I think that's something that a lot of storytellers miss is characters doing background is only half the background. It's cool, but that's an opportunity for you to connect the character to your world. Farm that yeah, absolutely you can to, to bond them to your, to your plot, to your story. That, that's very much the uh, the subtitle to our episode on backgrounds that came out uh, just a couple of weeks ago is definitely uh, farm that. Uh, suffice it to say that I think we all love the concept of a session zero, reinforcing the social contract, making sure people are respectful of each other. Look, we live in the year 2021 now. We've just went through a horrible year. Our games tend to be adult and thematically adult. But we also play role, lead games that will sometimes involve younger people or in some cases even children and younger children at that. We have to incorporate the themes of our game and what we're likely to get into when we do that elevator pitch because there are going to be times where a player may not want to do that. And there are going to be times where they want to play and you want them to play, but a given topic is too touchy for them. So we have to be safe. We have to... In, as part of that social contract, we also have to know what are people's hard lines? What are their soft lines? Right. What are the things we can talk about, but it's always off screen versus on screen. Uh, yep. Those are critical elements that really get discussed in the session zero, whether that's a full official meeting of everybody in one spot or separate conversations here and there. And it does depend on the makeup of the group, where, whether you're meeting live or whatever. I personally like to do that live so everybody hears the same message. I want my players to know that somebody doesn't like this thing. I could say it, but it's not the same weight as somebody themselves saying it at the table in front of everybody else. And I think if that's they're comfortable doing that, though, you might have to yep. communicate for your players depending on their comfort levels, too. Absolutely. But even if I am reading it, if I'm reading it to the entire group, then there's no right. doubt that everybody got the same message. So it is important. However, we get this information, this 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 critical safety information, personal and mental well-being safety information that we are utilizing it. Uh, I know each of us have uh, been in situations for vir virtual games where we've asked the question, "Hey, are you okay with your child hearing these types of themes?" We try not to do language, but right. are you okay if that happens on occasion? You right. know, that's an important question to ask. I'm the parent of of children. We're all three of us are the parents of kids. I actually just had that conversation with two parents for another game that I'm setting up um, off of a thread on our Facebook group. And the way that I put it was, the reason I'm concerned about having a minor on the table isn't my content. It's that I cannot control what other people will say. Yep. So if you're cool with, you know, and I have to know the group and I have to know the people or know people who know the people, yep. I wouldn't start just strangers in with kids. Um, I would never do cool that. with the I, fact I, that you might have to and the parent plays too. Yeah. If you're cool with the fact that you might have to talk it through afterwards. I mean, if something gets out of hand, I'll boot somebody, but yeah. I can't change the fact that what was said was already said. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've been asked by a player, Hey, my, my child would love to join the game. Um, is that something that you, you would be okay with? Well, that's a game that is currently all adults. I don't have any children. And my response to that was, unfortunately, I don't think that would be the best fit because we do, it's a game we run at night. 
It's after most of us get out of work. It's a game where I don't feel comfortable with some of the things that are discussed sometimes being there. You know, we're not terribly bad. I think it's mostly jokes or raw humor or what have you. But at the same time, something slips past the filter. Yeah. I myself am not comfortable with some of those raw humor moments being proffered in front of teenagers, Uh, which is not to say they don't see it or hear it elsewhere. I just don't need to be the vehicle. (laughs) And the fact that I have minors in this game will be part of my session zero with everybody to set the tone for what we can and can't do. Something else that's important there is as soon as I had the first question when I entertained it before I answered is I went to my other committed players and I said, I have an ask for somebody under 18 are you okay with that? And I had the same discussion with them first because I wouldn't have said yes. If one of my other committed players was not okay with playing with somebody under 18 and having that be an issue. And so, and that's again, session zero is all about communication and figuring out what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, I remember it wasn't just to kind of illustrate how this debate has changed in the last 10, 15 years. I, uh, remember a lot running live action games, you know, in the in the early 2000s where now they were World of Darkness games. And so the themes that you're going to find in a World of Darkness game tend to be uh, more more adult. They're darker than you would normally find in your standard Dungeons and Dragons game or at least what your Dungeons and Dragons game has to be right by by almost definition. World of Darkness games tend to be a little bit darker and more adult. You know, 15 years ago, that was kind of a a a badge on the storytelling staff. Like, oh, we're going to be dealing with really extreme stuff. Like, if right. you don't, if you don't want to, you know, and it, it kind of it flipped the conversation. Rather than going to our players and say, "Hey, this is where we want to go with the game. What are your hard limits?" And so we would flip the script and we'd be like, "Okay, here's you know." We're not going to constrain our story based on your feelings, you know, what, right. how, you know, so if you come, just understand what you're going to be getting into. And I, I, like, in retrospect, it is such a, a, such a heavy handed way to do that. And so, like, I don't want to say it's anti-player, but it's almost anti-player because it's like, if anybody, if anybody has any sort of hang up that is a potential trigger for them or anything like that, we're basically telling them, nope, you're not welcome to come to our game. And that's right. not the right message. Having run games at the same time and in that same mind space that all of us, like that was the hobby at the time, right? It was the hobby at the time, exactly. Right. Like I, um, I, I was in very much the same place. Like that was kind of how I did my game. And it's interesting because I had a character that I would written for and quite famously in our group, I wrote this very dark, very disturbing backstory for this horrible, horrific character. I mean, we're talking horror movie level background. And it was a good long document. And I remember writing it and I read it and I was not cool. Like, I was like, how the hell did this come out of me? It was like something like out of Stephen King's The Dark Half, right? It was, it, it was along those lines as being so separate and different for me. Like, I wanted nothing to do with it. To which I destroyed the document and wrote a new one. The player that got the new one a very sanitized version, which, by the way, is extremely disturbing anyway. It was like, oh, I want to read the original. I'm like, doesn't exist. I destroyed it. I'm done. I didn't want anything to do with that document. It was, to me, that bad. To this day, there are times where I have nightmares about that story I wrote. That When I say it was like Stephen King's The Dark Half, I actually read and then watched that movie after the fact, and I'm like, that's that is what that is the concept of what created that character, and I'm glad it's gone. 
Yeah, you tapped into it, man. You I'm, tapped into I, I, it. I'm glad it's gone, and I don't want to go back to that particular well. My my point being is, we in that space, especially with World of Darkness, we're very much like if it is dark, if it is dangerous, if it is on the cutting edge of the cutting edge, that's what we're doing. And too bad, so sad if you can't hang. And I wonder and I worry that there are friends of ours, good friends of ours, who may have felt pressured because we gamed all the time. We had a different live action game every weekend uh, that may have felt pressured to attend, even though that particular game or that particular theme was edgy for them. And I hope if they're listening to this podcast, they understand, one, that was the time, but two, that at least we all recognize where we were and we're not doing that now. That's not the way it should have been. I'm sorry to say, for anybody listening to my voice, there will come a point in time where what you did, even though it was okay then, it really wasn't okay. It really right. wasn't okay. <laughs> it just and wasn't okay. I think a really good way to summarize, you know, kind of like the feelings that you're feeling there in terms of how we used to be versus how we are now is a character arc and maturity of the game. And one of the things that I find fascinating as I think about it is that that character arc and maturing mirrors ours because our generation, Gen X, we may not have done much, but we're the defining generation of role playing. D&D came out at the beginning of our generation. We started out as young kids and it was us against them. When you were the game master, your job was to screw the players and the player's job and the player's job was to outwit and screw you. And then as we've evolved, pieces of that started to peel away and the game became cooler because we were kind of starting to work together. It was still us against them, but we wanted the players to be cool because we were telling a story together. I mean, we're all a bunch of old fogies. Yeah, but we've grown up enough that the hobby is changing with that, with this generation of role players as they've grown up. And now we want to tell a good story and we want our kids to be able to play and we care about the topics. With that, I think we've kind of covered a good deal of ground on session zero what we like about it what it's done for us as as storytellers and as players josh what are your closing thoughts on session zero yeah i think that the most important job of session zero as we've been talking about is to define and codify that social contract let everybody know how the game is going to go and how the interaction should go and and uh, make sure that everybody understands that everyone's on on the same team that you know me as the storyteller, it's not me against the players. It's that all of us are on the same team and all of us are trying to tell the story. And that's really what I think is Session Zero's most important feature. And Glenn, you? Absolutely. I'm right there with both of y'all. You know, as we go through whatever scenario you set up, whether you're doing a pickup game or a planned out campaign, um, the point is to set expectations, meet and break the ice, start forming bonds for party cohesion, set the stage and go. Absolutely. And my closing thoughts are is just for storytellers and DMs, GMs out there, just understand that session zero is loosely defined. It is a true thing that is critical and important. And it happens whether you know it or not, whether you actively do something or not. Technically, it happens. What's important is it can be separate conversations. It can be one group meeting. It can be all somewhere in between. Let it be whatever works for you and your group. But definitely be aware of what the elements you need to have within it. If you do that, your session zero is going to work for you, and it will be a positive thing to bring to your campaigns, your games, and your and the worlds you create. 
So as always, everybody, we would love to hear your feedback on this episode. I know that there's a lot to be said about session zero. So please send us your comments and tell us what you think we're getting right and what we're getting wrong and what you think that we should be discussing. Here are the best ways to go ahead and do that. You can go directly to the ttjourneys.com website. You'll see the podcast episode posted there and you can leave comments, leave feedback. We'll get it there. You can engage us on Twitter. We're at TT Journeys on Twitter, or you can go to Facebook, search for Tabletop Journeys, and you'll find the Facebook group. Join that and join in the discussion there. Lastly, if you want to email us, you can drop us a line at podcast at ttjourneys.com. Additionally, you can subscribe to our podcast, Tabletop Journeys, on Stitcher, iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Also available on Audible. Be sure to leave us likes and comments. We love both. And always, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Glenn, what a killer episode for you to come in on. Your, okay. your contributions here were awesome. Really appreciate you having on here. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been Tabletop Journeys. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water. <laughs>